Welcome to Power Yourself, where we discuss the most important topic in the world, you. Most of us strive for a life of happiness, peace, joy. We go to a job that we enjoy. We come home to a family that we love. We have friends in our life. But what happens if some or all of that falls apart? What happens if someday you come home and you realize your relationship is going to break up? What if you come to work one day and your boss says, you know what? You're laid off. You're fired. What happens if you get a medical diagnosis and someone in your family is going to die? These are some major stressful things in our lives. And today we're going to discuss exactly that in our stress series. This is the first part of a three-part series on stress. And with me, as always, is, I don't want to say chess master. No, it's our stress master. <laughs> we have Jillian Power with us. How are you doing today, Jillian? Oh, I'm doing good, girl. <laughs> How are you? Awesome. I am so excited about this. You you brought up this, this uh, subject matter. You said, I want to do a stress series. I want to do a three-part stress series. What was the genesis of, the, of this idea? What, what, uh, what were the mechanics behind this awesome idea of a three-part series on stress? Well, I think we all go through huge stress moments in our lives. And I think sometimes it's not decisions that we pick. So sometimes those decisions are forced on us. And to speak from, like, as we all can experience, it's not the easiest thing to get through. So I kind of tried to start reflecting on how we can give our listeners some tools to be able to get through those. So not just the moment when it happens, like finding out, because that's one piece of it, how to actually make it through to the next day and give yourself the tools to survive for a couple of hours or whatever it is. Because we all know those first crucial moments are really, really hard. So what I wanted to do is I want to talk being the first episode about those crucial moments, how to get through those specific moments when you find out about a diagnosis, when you find out about a layoff, when you find out maybe about a split up, one of those situations. And then the second part being, well, what do we do with our life after? How do we frame or reframe this epic event that has just happened into our life? And how do we get back on our feet? And it's funny, you know, you mentioned the stressful things that can happen to us in our lives. Some of them are involuntary. And I think it's important to note some of them are voluntary, which I find fascinating. You know, we do some pre-work for the podcast ahead of time. So we have a little pre-meeting. And you brought up some interesting points about things that are voluntary, like someone might choose to get a new job or change their career. Someone might choose to maybe buy a house for the first time or move to a different city. Maybe they're attending school or they're starting a new job. Boy, oh boy, is that ever stressful too, even though it's a life change that they themselves have initiated. Well, that's it. It's true. Like even though we might want something so bad, it's the initial stages of change. It can be really hard and really overwhelming. So how do you take something and not even so much when it's something you choose, but like, let's go back to when it's something we don't choose. How do we take something so crippling and how do we get through it? And then how do we get through that whole process with hopefully some self-growth, 
So coming out on the other end, a better version of ourselves after going through this torturous stage. It's a fascinating subject, and I'm looking into deep diving here on this. So can you talk a little bit about how hard change can be when it's not your choice? Let's maybe start off with that. So we'll start off with the involuntary stuff. We're talking about maybe a medical diagnosis that happens or a breakup in your relationship. It could be a breakup with friends. It could be a, a, a job change, an involuntary job change, a change in your health, for example. Can you talk a little bit about the resiliency that you're hoping to build here with these podcasts for those uh, types of changes? Yeah, well, change, like, first of all, we all get in our comfort zones, and we've talked about that before, but it gets comfortable and, you know, not easy, but a little easier, let's be honest. So, but when you have to go through a change in your life, it becomes very uncomfortable. In a way, it almost becomes a little bit unstable because it's not familiar to to you. So it's really new. So going through that can be very crippling. It can be very uncomfortable. It can be very paralyzing sometimes and overwhelming. I think that's true. I, I'm just thinking of my own personal life, for example. And it's almost like, and I'm sure lots of our listeners can relate to this, you kind of in a way sleepwalk through your week in that you know, you get dressed every morning, you have a routine and a routine is comfortable because your brain can kind of shut off that little piece. You take the same commuting path into work every day. And then, you know, on, on the weekends, if you don't have a routine, it can be stressful, even in a good way. Hey, what am I going to do this weekend? There's lots of options. But during the week, you're kind of that part of your brain kind of turns off. Recently, I went on vacation uh, overseas and it was amazing to me how the little things that I take for granted every day in my regular life, such as going and getting groceries, or do you know where you're going to sleep that night? All of those are up in the air when you're on vacation. You're traveling to a different hotel. You don't know the language. You don't know where to get food. Everything is exhausting because that comfort, that routine has been usurped by an exciting challenge, but it's a challenge nonetheless. Which causes anxiety for a lot of people. Now, it's funny because when you say anxiety, people are like, oh, no, 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 I don't have it. Or, oh, that's really a bigger thing. It's not. Like, a lot of people actually have it. For me, I totally, first person to admit, absolutely, I have anxiety. But that's it. It's about the change. It's about the, you don't have control. And then it becomes like heart palpitations or your breathing gets shallow and, you know, my hands get really cold or you get really sweaty and you get really nervous because there's so many balls up in the air. You just need to be able to catch some. Yeah, I think that I think you nailed it. The commonality between the different stressors that we've talked about, whether it's a job change or a health change or, you know, maybe somebody in the family passes away is you're moving from the known into the unknown and moving from the known into the unknown can really open up a lot of frustration and stress because we're moving from a level of comfort to a level of discomfort, even if it's by choice. Perfectly said. So like I said, I'm really excited about these uh, three podcasts that we're going to be working on here. And I know you are too, Jillian. Can you talk a little bit about how you see the three podcasts laid out and specifically how you think this first podcast will be laid out for our listeners? Absolutely. I think maybe the first step, let's go with the immediacy. So in the moment, finding out these big life changes, whether like we said, it's the death, losing a job, maybe uh, changing a relationship, 
let's talk about being able to handle those moments as they happen. Okay, so you're just finding out the news, you're just starting to have the conversation. So in those moments that your whole world is changing, I really want to take this episode to really drill down and maybe give our listeners some tools, how to get through those moments when you the news is first heard or your life has just changed. Okay, so maybe going through some, I always like to go back on my dialectical behavioral therapy skills, and we'll talk about that in a second. But those are some skills that we can give our listeners to get through those high stressful moments. That sounds great. So dialectic, how, how did you pronounce it? Yeah, dialectical behavioral therapy. Dialectical behavioral therapy, and that's DBT for short. Exactly, and basically okay. all that is is balancing opposites, okay? So it's talking about like accepting and being able to change. That sounds great. Okay. Yeah, so we'll talk about those. I also think it's important to really touch on the stages of grief. So I don't know if you guys know this, but there are five stages of grief. They're not necessarily linear, but I think it's something that when big life changes happen, we tend to go through and not a lot of us really know that they're a thing. So I see the first episode really being those. Now, the second episode, I really want to get more into the long term. How do you help set yourself up for success? Okay, in the midst of all this catastrophic kind of life unraveling moments, how do you structure yourself to succeed? And I think that's going to be a whole episode in itself. So we'll talk about like setting up good habits, maybe putting that structure into your life to help get you through and come out the other end on a positive note. Okay, that sounds great. And then the last one, I think it would be great to maybe get somebody that we know and maybe we can have a conversation with them about maybe something that they've been through or they've decided to go through, whether it's willing or not, but going through that huge life change and coming out the other side. I think it's always nice to hear a story. Fantastic. So hopefully this three-part series will be something that speaks to everyone because I think we've all been in that situation where we're a little bit scared. You know, what would happen if I lost my job? What would happen if I got a medical diagnosis or a scare in my life? And hopefully these will give us some tools so that we can see that coming ahead and we can say, okay, you know what? I have some resiliency now built into my life. So if this does happen, as tough as it will be, I have the confidence that I can get through it. And Carl, that's it. That's it. And that's the thing, guys. I know we all don't want to go through it. Nobody wants to go through a breakup, okay? Nobody wants to go through death or lo job loss, but we're all going to go through these life events. So why not take a second? Let's prepare ourselves, exactly what Carl just said, to be resilient in the face of huge life changes and give ourselves some tools so that we can and we have the confidence in ourselves to get through this and we're going to come out the other end. Fantastic. So the first point I think that's important that I'd love for you to talk about is the idea that we recognize that we may be in shock when it's happening. And so a lot of us don't know that. We come home one day going, oh my goodness, I've been laid off. And we might not even be aware that we're in shock. Yeah. So it's technically denial. So sure. it's the first stage of grief if you want sure. to like jump there. So it's basically you're not ready to accept it. You could kind of think of it as your brain's not ready to process. So our brains are kind of magnificent. So it only allows us to almost absorb so much information and it shuts down. 
So it doesn't allow it almost to become full-blown reality to us. Right. It only lets in so much. So denial is kind of self-preservation in a way. It's fascinating to see sometimes, you know, there'll be like a, you know, we all know somebody who's either been in a car accident or has maybe seen a car accident and they'll be oddly normal after it happens, you know, minutes after it happens, they'll be totally appearing like they're normal. And then it might be a day or two later that they have a complete breakdown and they start sobbing uncontrollably or they see a, a painting on the wall and they immediately break down and it's like, whoa. And there's like a delayed reaction there. It's almost like their body is, uh, is, is not willing to process it in the moment that it has to almost have time to see it through. I don't it's, know if that makes sense. It is that, totally is that what makes that is? sense, Carol. But it's it is. It's our body's way of kind of comprehending what's happening, but in small doses. So when denial starts to fail, that's when we're actually going to start to ab- absorb what's happening and start to really break it down. Sure. So it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just we can be neutral about a lot of this that we're talking about. So we could say it's important to give ourselves time. It might take days weeks, months, or even years to fully deal with the situation. And that's okay. Yeah, well, you have to think too, sometimes you're not in a setting where you really want to break down or lose it. You know, sometimes it's, once again, like going on that self-preservation piece, but sometimes it could be about image. Sometimes it could be about holding yourself together. I know with me, if I'm just about to crack, you can't ask me about my feelings because I'm really trying to like, let's say I'm at work and maybe something happened um, and I maybe got a phone call or something from like at home or something like that. And I'm, I almost have to detach in a way to be able to get through my work day and then process it when I get home. So it's literally a coping mechanism that our body and our brain has got inside of us where we can unhinge that piece and, and choose to not deal with it and act like everything's normal. And then afterwards, when it, we're in more of a safe spot, we tend to then break down or we tend to then deal with it. I see this, you know, what we just said reminds me a lot of when you go to somebody's funeral and, you know, sometimes the person or persons who are part of the family will appear totally normal, almost to the point where you're kind of looking at them going, they don't even seem that upset. Like they seem to be laughing and they seem to be totally normal. And then it's like, oh, but once the funeral's over and everyone leaves and they're home alone, that's probably where... And you can really process it. Well, yeah, and you can expose your emotions. Now, that's not saying that you can't do that in front of people. I'm really not saying that at all. I'm just saying sometimes this is something we consciously do. We put something on a shelf because we can't go there in that moment. Or maybe it's something that we don't consciously do. Maybe it's something that our brain actually, you know, overrides us and it's just not ready to take it in yet. So it can be voluntary or it can be involuntary too, right? And on that note, another point I think that's important to bring up is that there's no right way to feel. If you're going through a major life change, you could be happy about it. You could be sad. You could be angry. You could feel worthless. You could feel excited. And these could change from minute to minute or from hour to hour. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. And it's no order. Everybody's different. And that's okay. Everybody's going to process stuff in a different way. We're going to continue talking about these five different stages of grief. We've already touched on denial, but they're not linear. Some people can go through all five. Some people might not. Some people might go from anger to acceptance. Like there's no right recipe for it. It's just 
things that some of us go through. And usually when it's huge life changes, a lot of us hit some of them. So a key message, and hopefully people are hearing this by now, but a key message I think that is important to relay is that there's, we don't need to feel embarrassment or shame about any of this, that there's no, we don't need to attach a value to it. If I'm going through a life change and I'm sad or angry or confused, there's no need to be embarrassed about it. Totally agreed. So let's really say out the five stages. So guys, the five stages, like we said, we already said denial. We also have anger. There's depression. There's bargaining. And there's also acceptance. Okay. Like I said, no linear order. But to jump in after denial, a common one is usually anger. So anger is the kind of frustration. So basically, it's not fair. Why me? But if you scratch that anger, it's going to be pain underneath, okay? But you're just not there yet. So sometimes it's that outburst. You're just not ready to allow yourself to feel. So we start off with the denial phase. And then we move into the anger phase. Yep. And then from there, we move into the bargaining phase. So in this stage, we're going to attempt to repair and undo the damage done to our life if we can. Or at least mentally start to weigh out those options. So maybe we start to, you know what, my life wasn't so bad with that, um, with my with my ex. Or, you know what, my, my job that I quit wasn't so awful. Maybe I should uh, think about moving back to my old place. Maybe, I, maybe this was a mistake. It's almost like you start second-guessing yourself in the bargaining stage. 100%. You're trying to, you're rationalizing or you're bargaining to say, like, if only, uh, then I would be happy. Or... What if this didn't happen, then everything would be okay. It's our way of dealing with kind of like guilt and pain. We're trying to almost bring back what we've had prior. You know, and we said the denial, anger, and bargaining, and I just really want to repeat it, guys. It's not in that linear kind of path. So just because we're saying it this way doesn't necessarily mean that's the way it's going to go. Like just to go back to anger for one second... I want like, I want us all to kind of reflect for a second. When you're angry, you want to explode. Like, just think of a moment that you've met your max and you just want to, like, the emoji with your head blowing off the top and smoke coming out, okay? A lot of times we lash out. We want to, like, blame or do something like that. But I really want to say some good advice when the anger kind of hits is just to, if we can, if we're in that place in our lives, to allow yourself to feel it, okay? Because the quicker you kind of lean into those feelings, the quicker you're actually going to process and be able to come out the other end. So a lot of the troubles that we face sometimes in our lives comes not from feeling the emotion, but from combating the emotion. Beautiful. Carl, that's exactly it. So it's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel confused. There's no shame involved if we get happy one minute and sad the next. You know, there's been a couple friends in my life that have gone through deaths in their family. And they'll sometimes say to me, it's strange. I know I should be really sad, but I'm not. And now it's almost like they feel guilty about it. They're going, well, I'm thinking of all these positive memories of this person, and I'm not sad. But I know I'm supposed to feel this way. I hear this a lot. I'm supposed to feel this way. And I don't really think there's any right way to feel. Yeah, they're supposed to. It's like, no, no. Like, this is your life. You're going through it. Nobody can tell you 
how you're going to feel or how you're going to deal with it. You can just get tools from everybody around you. But I think that's the biggest advice. Just feel. Just allow yourself to go through it. There's no right or wrong way. I would always try to encourage maybe some healthy tools to help grip you to the other side. Sure. So we've talked about denial. Mm -hmm. We've talked about anger, bargaining. And the next one we'll discuss here briefly is depression. So this is one where a lot of us will hide in our beds or we just find we just want to sleep all day or we just zone out. We just want to watch television. We sometimes will um, not shower or shave or our personal hygiene takes a beating. We don't answer the door. We don't answer the phone. Our energy levels are super low. So mentally, we just run out of steam. Yeah, we're empty. We're feeling like, why bother? Why go on? A lot, of thing, a lot of times we withdraw from our friends, our family, and wonder why we should actually go on. And a key thing to notice about depression, guys, is you feel like it's going to last forever. That story in your head, that dialogue, will usually be like, this is never going to change. This will always be this way. Why continue? And it's funny, you know, I hear sometimes some of my friends will say, and I've been in this camp as well, where you're sad about being sad or you're angry about being angry. So it's one thing if you're angry. But then you're angry because you're angry. And it's like the second layer on top. And it can be maddening. It's like, oh, I'm not only depressed, but now I'm depressed because I'm depressed. And it's a cycle. And like there is, there's no quick fixes here. There's just tools you can do to get you through. And like depression's a huge thing, right? Like it's not, it's not an easy thing to get yourself out of, but I promise you always can. And that leads us to our last of the emotional stages of grief again these aren't strictly linear but hopefully this will be the last stage in the sense that it's acceptance so there's light at the end of the tunnel you can see a way forward you've begun to fu- you've begun to fully process what has happened and how to deal with it and how your life at least looks going forward there's some semblance of norm- normalcy coming back into your life so the big thing is acceptance It's not saying that you approve or this is what you want. You're accepting the reality of the situation. Okay. You're (laughs) accepting that change has happened. You learn to almost live with it in a way. That's when, you know, the big exhale goes out and you're like, okay, so what next? Life has to go on. You move on, you change, you kind of grow. This is where you evolve. You're able to reflect and move forward. So it's not like you're betraying your life before it's just a changed life, and now you're learning how to live with it. It's, it's fascinating to me. You know, people on the whole, I think, have such a sense of right and wrong, and it can be years after an event. I know, I know a person, for example, a friend of a friend who went through a breakup, and 20 years later, 20 years later, he still talks about his ex-wife all the time. And I mean, you, you kind of just want to shake this guy and go, man, like, where, why are you spending this much time? And energy? Now, the ex-wife, for example, she, I, I know her and she's moved on. She's got a whole nother life. She's not thinking about this guy at all. And he's like trapped. It's like a trapped feeling. He's trapped in the past. And I think there's a lot of energy that can be spent you know, in a way to combat injustice, like we feel wronged in some way, and we just for, we just will not let it go. It's such a powerful force in our life. I know, and that breaks my heart to hear <laughs> that. And sometimes we're not ready. Sometimes we go through 
huge amounts of time because we're not ready to move on. We're not ready to change. We're not ready for life to be different. But you nailed it when, like, I don't want to say it's a waste of energy, but it's a drain on energy. Yeah. Okay, so just like, just know, and it's okay. Like we said, there's no right or wrong way to go here. It is how you want to process it and how you want your life to be. But clinging to the past, it's never going to catapult you into a bright new future. Okay? And once again, I know I say this at least once the episode, online or offline, but it's 100% your control. It is 100%. If you want your life to be better, you will make it better. Okay, you have to put those efforts in the time, the effort, the energy and hanging on to the past is not going to get you there. So we're in the thick of it right now with this first episode of our stress series. We've talked about the five stages of grief and Jillian has hinted about having resiliency tools to get us through these five stages of grief. So here's the big reveal. Now we're going to talk about this DBT and I'm fascinated to hear about this. So Jillian, help us build our resiliency. What is DBT and how do we use it? Okay. So DBT basically, well, it's called, like I said, dialectical behavioral therapy. So it's tools you can kind of incorporate into your life so that you can get through these high stressful moments. It helps you in a way regulate your emotions. Okay. Getting through the wanting to like, not like seriously guys, you can all remember times you, you don't think you can make it the next minute. You, you don't think you can even make it an hour. A lot of times here, so you're going through just think high stressful moments. People who don't want to deal, you're probably going to do it alcohol. A lot of people do drugs or even overeat because you're trying to numb yourself. So I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. I'm saying I see one as very unhealthy. So numbing your emotions, numbing your feelings, which would be using the buffers like alcohol and drugs and food. Or you can try to process those feelings or manage those feelings and try to, in a way, accept and change how you're feeling to be able to get through that moment. So I feel DBT kind of gives you the skills to almost empower yourself to move yourself forward. So it's almost like when you talk about buffering, could be drugs, alcohol, some sort of addictive avoidance behavior. This is a person trying to maybe go around the issue. And what you're saying is DBT is building our resiliency so that we can go through the issue. And get you, like, sometimes it's going to be, like, we're going to talk about distraction because it's one of the things that you do. But it's distracting yourself in a healthy, positive way, okay? So not numbing yourself. Always remember that. I know it's easy to turn yourself off and not feel but I promise you, you're not going to get through it if you tend to do that. Right. So we want to throw away the idea of avoiding and we want to lean in and try to get through this. So so what are, what are some skills that we can use using this DBT? Okay. So they talk about, I'm only going to touch on some. First of all, if you have like anxiety, uh, it's used on like people with, uh, who have drug problems or like anxiety or eating disorders, a whole array of stuff that you can use these skills on. But we're only going to touch on a couple of kind of tools. So we'll touch on the umbrella of mindfulness, 
we'll touch on distress tolerance, and we'll touch on emotional regulation. So if you're at all interested in kind of, I always, (laughs) it's so cheesy, but I always like to say I'm building my tool belt. So I like to learn a whole bunch of different stuff. I like to have stuff in my pocket so that if I need it, I can use it. I can use something healthy to get myself through as opposed to detaching and disconnecting. And I, I love that analogy. It's as if you walk into a, a well-stocked garage, a tool shed, and you say, look, no matter what project I'm going to be working on, the right tool for the right job at the right time. And it's, it's so powerful to use the right tool at the right time. So the DBT skills, like I said, we'll touch on the, like three of them, but there's so much more out there to learn if you want to kind of build your education around this and grab some more tools. So mindfulness. We've talked about mindfulness before, Carl, but the way they kind of break it down, it's the three simple little things, okay? So you're in a moment, guys. Picture yourself. High intensity, high emotions. You don't know if you're going to get through to the next moment. One approach can be mindfulness. And they break it down, like I said, three things. Observe, describe, and participate. Okay? Now, they ask you to do it non-judgmentally. Okay? So try to not almost bring too much emotion into it, but you're observing what's happening around you. Or you can describe things. Like, and you can do this in your head, too. You're trying to breathe through and bring yourself to a little bit of a lower level of emotion. So you're maybe mentally removing the weight of the past and the anxiety of the future. And you're in the moment. So you could be literally, oh my goodness, I just got a bad diagnosis or I just got laid off from my job. I'm in shock. You could literally go to a park and sit on a park bench and just be in the moment, not think about what happened, not think about what's going to happen, but just experience the present. It's a healthy way almost to detach for a second. So it's a way to get yourself through a high intensity moment and just breathe through it for a second. So, so what do you say to someone who is listening to this mindfulness piece and they're saying, wait a minute, you're telling me, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Wait a minute, I just lost my job and you're telling me to go to the park and look at the birds. This sounds like a complete waste of time. What is the value to sitting there and being, you know, taking an hour and just listening, seeing, turning off the past and turning off the future? What, what is the end result? Is it that, that we're, we're better able to then process the information we're, hel- we're doing like a healthy detachment. Okay. Okay. So we're detaching, but we're doing it in a healthy way. You're almost saying, pause. I'm going to blow a gasket here. I need to be able to get myself together, detach for a second, get my levels calmer. So like anxiety, calmer, like the way I say, or why I say anxiety a little bit lower is because in those moments our head goes to the future and it goes right back to the past. And it's almost like whiplash. And there's so much, you feel like a spin, like your whole world is spinning. So to feed into that, you're probably not going to come out really together on the other end. How can you? It's like your whole world has been shaken. That really speaks to me. I think sometimes we forget that our brains, our physical brains that sit in our head, They are a machine, just like a car. 
or a boat or a train. And sometimes those engines can overheat or sometimes they need an oil change or sometimes there's a problem with the carburetor. So for us to go to the park and practice mindfulness for an hour is would be the equivalent of like going in and getting oil change on your car. You're saying, hey, take a time out for an hour, slow that brain down. Let's get it back on track so that we can then drive in the right direction. That's absolutely it. So you're going to get an oil change when your check engine light is blinking red glaring maybe noises coming out and you're listening it's listening to your body to be like i can't go in this at this moment i need to take care of myself and that means i need to breathe through it i need to bring my anxiety down and i need to take control of my situation it's a fascinating subject and i'm I'm, there's so much more we could talk about here with mindfulness but i think what i love about it is the idea that we are that we ourselves are in the situation that the situation is not happening to us we are part of the situation and so we need to look inward and say the very thing that i'm processing the information with may be in a sense either damaged or not working properly or out of gas and we need to pull over to the side of the road and do a quick tune up on that very thing of which we are processing it's very meta. I, I love that because you're saying we need to look at the very thing we are using to process the data with. And take care of it. And it's okay. It's okay to take time. You don't need to have the answers right away. You don't need to know how you're going to handle the rest of your life right away. Allow yourself time to just land. And I don't think we give ourselves permission for that. I think one of my favorite things to do when I feel like I'm, like I'm at max capacity or I'm about to blow it's it's honestly an old friend taught me this to just go outside and it's almost like a meditation in a way but like go outside and I honestly touch a tree I touch a tree because the hope is that it will take my negative energy and change it into something positive and put it back out there like it's almost like kind of this visualization I have in my head but allows me to be very mindful and it's just something that pauses me and it almost it allows that chance to take a deep breath and just acknowledge that I'm trying to get rid of negative energy or negative emotions you know stuff like that and just gather myself back together and start again so if you ever are out walking in your neighborhood and you walk past an old wilted rotting tree you know exactly why now somebody has been touching it they're not happy about but it. But honestly, when I was told to do it, I was like, uh. But I tried it and it, like, to boil it down, it is full on just some type of meditation to get you through. It's just an opportunity to be mindful and to really conscious on letting the negative out and taking something positive back in. Yeah, I love it because there's a fine line between, I think, especially someone who's new to the idea of mindfulness, they might say, well, what's the difference between me eating a bag of chips and watching Netflix and me going for a walk and sitting in the park? They're both comfortable, nice things. And what I hear you saying is one is avoidance. You're saying, no, no, I want to I turn off my brain and not think about it. Well, I guess they're both like that. But the avoidance piece of it is that you're doing something to seek comfort versus mindfulness, which is resetting your brain so that you can later and more healthily process the information. So well said, Carl. So well said. So we've talked about mindfulness, the observe, describe, and participate of mindfulness. What else does uh, DBT uh, talk about? So it talks a little bit about dis- 
distress tolerance. Okay, so distress tolerance, there's a couple of little things here. But basically, it's about tolerating the emotion as opposed to acting out. So as opposed to blowing up. Okay, there's a couple of little quick wins you can do. One's distracting. Funny, because we just said don't distract, but we're talking about don't distract in kind of a negative way. So this type of distracting would be like, maybe I am going for that walk, walk, curl, or maybe I'm going to spend time with my pet. So I'm trying to distract myself so I can breathe. Uh, another thing could be self-soothing. So self-soothing can sometimes be, it's almost like a meditation in itself, like eating or listening to something, like listening to the trees outside, or it could be listening to music, or maybe it could be watching something. It could be watching something outside, like not detaching with the TV, but something healthy and positive to just do for a second to gather yourself. Almost to hit pause before, once again, you blow up. Uh, another thing would be trying to improve the moment. Okay, thinking of a pro and con list, maybe just trying to get like the reality of the situation and almost lower your level of emotions in a way, as opposed to feeding into anger, like you want to blow up at that situation. Maybe it's about like trying to look at pros and cons of what's happening here or maybe life moving forward just to try to get that balance because once again that's what dbt is right you're trying to balance your emotions and i like that because i think what you're describing is a, is a form of healthy detachment where you're saying you know let's remove ourselves from the situation and look at it somewhat more dispassionately remove the anger from it remove the injustice from it and you come at it from a place a little more zen where you're saying you know what but factually here's what happened I'm going to remove the judgments from it. And like it or not, I'm going to have to deal with these facts. And it's not going to be easy. And maybe it's going to take a long time to get there to be able to be in a place of acceptance. It's just healthy tools to kind of incorporate in your life in those moments to help you get through those crucial, crucial events that you think you're just going to blow up. These are ways you can take back control. Another thing would be relaxation or physical exer exertion. So maybe going for a run. If you feel really, really angry and you don't want to blow up, go for a run. Or maybe go to the gym or go for a hike or a bike or something that's positive like that, but it's going to distract you in a positive way. And I like that. It comes back to our kind of our four pillars where if you've got your physical, mental, emotional or spiritual alignment, you know, maybe you're out of alignment on that. Sometimes exhausting the physical part of it will actually help your mental or your emotional part of it. Sometimes going for a run and you come home and you're all sweaty and tired and you go, man, I feel great. I accomplished something. There's a certain level of peace to that or accomplishment to that. You can the say, man, I went for a hike and it was amazing. See, like it's the accomplishment piece. It's being able to say, in the face of everything, what you feel is your life is totally crumbling inward. You did something positive. So as opposed to feeding in that negative and spiraling out of control, just by doing a couple of little positive things can help balance you, right? And then the last one would be emotional regulation. So remember how I was saying about try to lean into your feelings as opposed to dismissing them? So something 
regarding emotional regulation would be to label your emotions. So it's almost like you're being an observer of yourself. Try to label what you're feeling. Okay. So I think that's it's exactly what I, as soon as you said that, I thought, oh, it's almost like you're policing your own feelings. You're not stopping them, but you're recognizing them and calling them out as they happen. You're saying, oh, I get it. I recognize the fact that I'm really angry whenever this comes up, or I'm really sad whenever this comes up. You're not fighting it, but you're aware of it. And it's funny because once you do that step, Carl, you actually are able to take more control of it because you realize it's an emotion. And we all know we can actually change our emotions, okay, by the stories we're telling ourselves. So by being able to identify what emotion you're feeling, hopefully then you can actually start to maybe look at changing that or reframing it. I think it's a real skill, and it takes a lifetime, I'm sure, to master, of regulating our emotions. And I find, like, sometimes something will happen where I'll get angry or upset or happy. Or, and it's funny when you drill down on it and you go, oh, I've almost like deconstructed it. And you go, oh, here's why. I, I thought ABC and therefore I felt this. Or I thought DEF and therefore I felt that. And, and doesn't that give you so much more clarity? It does. It's also a little bit, um, it's almost a little bit scary that we are so, we are like machines. We are so machine oriented that we are literally programmable. You can literally reprogram your brain. It takes time. It may take years of work, but it is doable. And on the one hand, it sounds like it's terrifying, but on the other hand, it sounds so freeing. There's certain people in my life that just never seem to get upset about anything ever. And I'm thinking, it's not like they're not engaged. They're totally engaged, but they've made a choice that the information coming into their brains will be filtered in such a way that they will have certain emotions come forward through the through their brain power they're and taking, it's a fascinating skill they're taking control and we all have that potential it's just really hard to do yeah. <laughs> totally but if you put the effort in i love it that you said it carl and it's that's it that's if anything that's what i feel all these podcasts that we do is about you have the control to change the story you're telling yourself, which in result gives you a whole different set of emotions. You have that power. It's fascinating to me as well. Um, I think the more we travel, like we're a global society and a lot of us, you know, I think about, you know, 50 years ago, very few people ever went over to Europe or Asia. And now everybody we know travels everywhere all over the world. And it's fascinating to me what different cultures consider normal. Like if I woke up tomorrow in North Korea, I would be so stressed out and so anxious and it would be awful. And, or, or let's, maybe that's a bit of an extreme example, but even, even like a European country that they would consider it's totally normal life. But if like when they come over to Canada or when they come over to the United States, they're completely stressed out because it's totally not normal. It's not a normal life for them. And it's funny what we consider normal. It's kind of somewhat arbitrary. Like we, it's normal for us because we've lived here our whole life. So it's funny what we consider to be very stressful might be someone else's normal life that they've lived for 20 years. I, I think sometimes the more resilient we get, the more change we can handle, it's just a continuum. Some people have great resiliency. Some people have relatively poor resiliency. So it's not that the... like. You, what, if, if you were to think about all the people in, in the world, how many people in the world lose their parents? 
almost everyone at some point in their life will lose their parents. That's something we have in common, everyone in the entire world. And yet we handle it so differently culturally, individually, familial, like from a family perspective. I, I find that fascinating that there's really no right way to handle the stressors in our lives. You, you've given us these tools to work on, but every single person is different and every single culture is different as well. And then different tools will work for everybody. And you're going to find your own recipe. But the point is to try to make the conscious effort to use the healthy tools to get yourself through. So leaning into the feeling and trying to almost lean into the discomfort, you will get through it. You always get through it. I know the story inside your head says you're not, but you will get through it. Just try to set up healthy tools to kind of get you through to the next moment and then you'll look back and maybe it's a week later and maybe it's a little bit easier. So there's definitely a lot that we unpacked in this episode today and I think it might be worth it to even listen to it maybe a second time, especially if you're going through a life event. There's a lot of things to unpack in this episode. So that was uh, episode one of our stress series. We join, we, uh, we invite you to, to join us for episode two here coming up shortly in which we'll talk about not so much being in the moment of the stressful incident, but working through it afterwards. So that's it for this first episode of our stress series. Now we have a quick ask of our many listeners of this amazing podcast that Jillian has worked so hard to create and I'm honored to be a part of it. She's indicating to me that it's a we and that's awesome. We would like you to go on to iTunes. If you listen to this podcast through iTunes, if you can go on and leave a review, that would be amazing. It really helps us with with search results. And if you could leave a review on iTunes, that would be so appreciative. We, we would be so appreciative of that. And the other thing I wanted to mention is if you wanted to go on Facebook and follow us on Facebook, that would be amazing as well. Feel free to leave a comment, ask a question. We would love for you to get involved. Nothing makes us happier than when we get feedback about the podcast. So please, please, that means a lot to us. Thank you so much for listening. The podcast is free. So what we're asking is if you could pay with a little bit of your time, maybe take five minutes, that would be awesome. We would sincerely appreciate that. And on that note... I'm Carl. And I'm Jillian. And we'll talk to you next time on this amazing podcast. Thank you so much for listening.